This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Well, if you would turn in your Bible to the book of Romans. I'm kidding. That was a joke. Um, (laughs) We just wrapped up a 16-part teaching on the book of Romans and uh, really enjoyed that study and that teaching. Really enjoyed just getting into the Word of God with our church family and uh, pray that those things just really help give you a solid foundation in some areas in your life and help you understand some things. One of the biggest things that I think that we can get out of a series like that that, that uh, was taught but wasn't really taught uh, necessarily, if that makes any sense, maybe it was more displayed or shown than it was just outright taught, was that when you read the Bible, when we look at God's Word, to look at it in proper context, because you get so much more out of it when you look at the whole picture than you just trying to isolate verses and make the Bible say something that it doesn't say, right? I mean, anyone can do that. Anyone can go on the hunt, and uh, you, you, you've seen how people will take little clips of different interviews, and they can make people say just about anything they want to say, and that's where bad doctrine and bad belief comes from. So make sure that as you read the Word of God, as you study, as you grow as a believer, that you're always looking at things in context, so you're not pulling things out that the Bible doesn't say, or you're making it uh, try to fit your theology. I think it's really huge and really crucial for us to always approach the Word of God with what God was actually saying and to whom he was saying it to and what that means to us today instead of us just going, okay, I'm approaching the Bible with my beliefs already and I'm going to see where God agrees with me. I think that's kind of the backwards way to go with things, all right? The Bible's not for us to see where God agrees with us. It's for us to allow God to define who we are and what he wants us to do, amen? All right, so this morning we're going to do something fun. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk about a few Christmas carols today. You ever wondered about that? I mean, what's the story behind these Christmas carols? You know, have you ever wondered where they originated from? And, you know, when did people start singing them? Because they're traditions now for us, but every tradition was new at some point, right, for somebody. So who started this thing, and why do we sing these things today? Who, what was the purpose of them singing it? So I decided to go behind the music to find out exactly what these songs were talking about and why we do the things that we do. You know, I think that's really important. Why do we do the things we do? I think that that's a big question for us to ask in any area of our lives. A lot of things that we do, I think, are just simply based off tradition, and, well, our answer is that's just the way we've always done it. You may have heard the story about the lady uh, who got a Christmas ham and she cut off the end of it and threw it in the garbage can. And her daughter says, Mom, why did you throw that away? And she says, well, that's what my mother's always done. I don't know. Let me go ask her. And she says, Mom, why do we cut the end off of the Christmas ham and throw it away? And she says, well, that's the way my mother always did it. And she said, well, let's go ask Grandma and see what she has to say. So they go find Grandma and say, Grandma. Why in the world have we been cutting the end off the ham and throwing it away? And she said, well, because our pot was too small. (laughs) So sometimes I think that we do things a certain way and we forget why we do it or we don't really even understand or know why we do the things that we do. So I think that in us singing these Christmas carols, these Christmas hymns, if you will, why do we sing these things? Why do we do these things every Christmas uh, season? So I looked it up and the word carol... Um, is a French word, and it means a circular dance. So I guess the reason that we sing Christmas carols is because we all like to dance in circles. Um, 
But no, what, what, what the circular dance is referring to is actually referring to the style of music. In, uh, it's not necessarily uh, just related to Christmas music, but it's uh, related to this certain style. It's a circular style of music, which is the verse and refrain would go round and around and around. If you notice, a lot of our Christmas carols, by definition, will be songs where you sing uh, one part, then you sing another part, then you sing one part, then you sing another part, and you keep going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And that's kind of what that means as a style of music, and carols have been used in a religious uh, theme or religious sense as early as the 4th century by, guess who? The Romans. So I just had to slip that in there, give our Roman friends some props there. Uh, <laughs> so these things were done as early as 4th century, and the reason that a lot of these songs were written and a lot of these songs were sung was to help people understand doctrine to help them actually be taught. It was actually a way of teaching and helping people to memorize things that were very important that they wanted instilled. And they thought one of the easiest ways for us to remember something is through song. I know that we have toothbrush songs that we sing, you know, when it's time to brush the teeth at our house that you have to sing. And when the song's over, you can stop brushing your teeth, you know. We have certain songs for memorizing the continents at our house. I know my wife came up with a song, and I don't know how it goes, but she sings. Anyways, um, there was a song when I was a kid that uh, was the 12 disciples. And I, can, I know the 12 disciples today, and it's funny because I always will say them if anyone asks me in this certain order based on the way the song goes. You want me to sing it for you? Okay, I will, since you asked. I go, there were 12 disciples. Jesus called to help him. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James' brother, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, that is Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew. And that's the song. And, well, thank you. <laughs> If you want, I'll teach it to you, too, so you can know the 12 disciples. <laughs> we'll, we'll put inserts in the bulletin, <laughs> and you can all sing along. But, you know, I think that that's a great way for us to memorize things, for us to just learn things. And that was really the intent of these carols, these religious songs. Now, uh, the, the ones that we actually use today as Christmas carols, these things were written much later than 4th century, um, because carol, remember, wasn't always associated with Christmas. The great reformer, Martin Luther, actually was a big proponent of music in the church, and he wrote a lot of hymns. He authored many carols, and he was responsible for really pushing more religious carols uh, around the theme of the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, because Martin Luther was really a big proponent of helping people to understand the gospel justification by faith, and because he touted these themes, and because this was really a part of his message and his ministry, then he wanted people to memorize these things, and so he wrote a lot of songs songs around those three themes, around the birth, the life, and the death of uh, Christ, because he wanted people to understand this is why Jesus came. This was the purpose, and we need to have these things instilled in us, and it stirs worship in our heart. That's what these songs are meant to do, not just to remind us of times with family, which, yes, they can do that. There's nothing wrong with that by no means, but the main thing that Christmas carols are supposed to do is they're supposed to stir worship in our hearts and keep our hearts fixated on Jesus Christ. Because aren't there so many things in this world that are trying to distract us from Jesus Christ? Isn't it funny that even at Christmas time, when we're supposed to refocus on Jesus Christ, there are so many things screaming at you to detract your attention away from Jesus Christ? Isn't it funny how this world is trying to just draw us away. And the very things oftentimes that we're meant to draw us to Christ, Satan will try to spend those things around to detract us or distract us from Christ. 
So let's let these things stir worship in our heart. Let's let these things actually stir us up in memory to think about what Jesus did. I love what Kristen said before she sang the first Noel, which was absolutely beautiful, by the way. I mean, she just, man, in practice, I was sitting there going, can we just keep singing this song over and over again so we can listen to you sing it? It was beautiful. But one of the things that really uh, blessed me was, you know, she's saying, listen, we need to focus on this message, we can get so distracted by the fact that it's just tradition or that it's just routine that we don't really think about what we're saying. And our minds are somewhere else, or our heart is somewhere else. But yet we see if we really focus on the meaning of the song and we think about those things, they should stir worship in our heart to Christ. Now, carols were a lost art until about the 18th century, so it was something that was done early around the 4th, 5th, 6th century, and then it kind of became a lost art. And then you see Martin Luther kind of bringing some of these things back. He wasn't chiefly responsible. He was just one of the more uh, noteworthy people that you would know who began to bring these things back. Um, And the purpose of those carols was to teach doctrine and stir worship in the heart of of people towards Jesus. So the first one that we sang was Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So let's talk about Hark the Herald Angels Sing. If you think about this uh, song and you think about the lyrics, it will stir worship in your heart. But it first appeared in a book called Hymns and Sacred Poems in 1739. It was written by Charles Wesley. And if that name sounds familiar, if you know a little bit of church history, um, he also wrote many significant hymns and was the brother of the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley. So this is John Wesley's brother, Charles. So Chuck wrote these songs, and uh, he wrote a lot of other uh, hymns as well. But Hark the Herald Angels Sing was one that we know that he wrote that's a little bit more popular. And originally when he wrote it, it was actually sung to the tune of Amazing Grace, which I went through the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing and tried to sing it to Amazing Grace, and it was really awkward. Um, so I really like the way that it's done now. And uh, later, they, when they did it after uh, Amazing Grace's tune, later it was done to the tune of Christ the Lord is Risen Today. But then George Whitfield, a preacher in the Church of England, who was also a Methodist minister, gave us the familiar melody that we have today. So let's look at those words together. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Stop right there at that and just think about just that first little part of that song. Man, that is huge. God and sinners reconciled. We've been talking about reconciliation. We've been talking about man being right in the eyes of God, not through his own works, not through his own deeds, but now God and sinners can be reconciled because the newborn king has come and he's going to fix what man lost in the Garden of Eden. He's going to come and redeem mankind. And then he says, joyful, all ye nations rise, because your king is here. Your, your method of reconciliation, your path, your way is here. He's here. So joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. It says, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Next one says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hell the incarnate deity. Pleased as, man, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. As I look at that, what that reminds me of and what that helps me to think of is I'm thinking of the fact that Christ came as a man. 
He actually came to earth as a man, walked this earth as a man, and died for you and for me. And when we think about that, how it stirs worship in our heart to the amazing grace that we've been given through Jesus. And then lastly, hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. You know, one of the things I used to do when I was a youth pastor is I would take lyrics of popular songs and I would actually read them to my students. I was on, uh, you know, my anti, um, uh, any secular music uh, teaching that I was really adamant about, and I've talked to you guys a little bit about that back in those times, but one of the things I used to do of some of the more harmful music that was out there during that time is I would actually take the lyrics and I would actually just read them. And the kids would be like, you can't say that in church. And I would say, well, you're listening to it. (laughs) You know, because if we think about the lyrics of something and we just think about what we're actually saying or what we're listening to, it's either going to have a positive or a negative impact on us, right? It's going to have a positive or negative impact on us. So as we think about these things, man, think about the weight and the power of these words and what they should stir in our hearts, just like I would try to caution my teenagers about what negative words would stir in their hearts and negative things and negative attitudes. What type of attitudes should these words stir in our hearts? I know a lot of times when we hear those familiar Christmas songs, because my wife loves Christmas music, when I hear those songs, I go, oh boy, here they come again. My wife loves Christmas music. She plays Christmas music year-round, and she loves Christmas music. She loves singing Christmas music, and man, I just hear it all the time. And when it comes on the radio, I'm like, okay, let's just, you know, I can just check out because you've heard it so much. I think oftentimes we can even do that with the Word of God if we're not careful. When we hear things like John 3.16, a lot of us can just check out because we know it, but we say it, and oftentimes we forget the weight of what is being said. I think it's so crucial, too, that even during Christmas, as we look at the words, as we slow down and we actually read the words, I think that it should reignite the weight of what those words are actually saying and meaning in our hearts. So let's talk about the next song that we sang. We sang the first Noel, and Noel means Merry Christmas in French, and it actually means to shout the birth of Christ, and I love that definition. It means to shout. Literally, if you, if you drill it down to its actual meaning, it means to shout the birth of Christ. So as we're singing that, we're shouting the birth of Christ. We're not just singing a word. We have no idea what it means. No, well, what are we saying? No, well, what are we saying? I don't really know, but we sing it every year. Let's cut the end off the hymn and throw it away. And we don't know what we're doing. But no, well, we're actually shouting. Jesus is born. Christ is born. That's what we're actually saying. And when we know that, it helps bring extra weight to what we're singing. You see, the original version of the first Noel dates back to at least the 17th century. And in 1823, William Sandys uh, published a Christmas carols uh, of ancient and historical significance. And what this book did is it included many songs that we now 
uh, call classic Christmas carols. So he was really the first one to combine all of these songs and to format them in a way where we would consider them Christmas carols. Now, he also uh, put songs in there such as God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, um, The First Noel, I Saw Three Ships Come Sailing In, uh, and he also uh, was the one that combined in Hark the Herald Angels Sing into the songbook to actually classify them or categorize them as Christmas carols. Because these people would just sing these songs as worship songs or songs to memorize doctrine. They weren't necessarily go, okay, it's Christmas time, let's sing Christmas carols. That's not what originally happened with these different songs. So they combine these things um, in the 1800s, and we see that now we call them Christmas carols. We have a few more Christmas carols that we are going to sing together this morning, and then we're going to talk about what they mean. So I'm going to ask the band if they would go ahead and come on back out here, and we're going to sing a couple more together. Now that we have a little bit of a foundation of what we're doing this morning and what we're talking about, let's take that type of heart and that attitude and that type of focus into these next couple of songs that we sing together this morning as a church family. Would you all stand? I think that when we understand and we think about what we're singing, and not just when it comes to Christmas carols, but when it comes to anything, that we're really singing when we consider the weight of what it is that we're singing man it just really stirs something up in your heart you know what it doesn't stir up in my heart it doesn't stir up presents it doesn't stir up christmas lights it doesn't stir up all of the commercialization it stirs in my heart worship to jesus and that's what it's supposed to do supposed to stir up worship in our hearts so as we hear these songs as we sing these lyrics man even when we're here as a church family on a weekend where we're not singing christmas songs when we're just singing from our heart to god and we get to that place where we really connect with that just deep weight of what we're saying it stirs up something in us it stirs up in me personally it stirs up an emotion that just just feels the very presence of God that just makes it just such a tangible reality to me where I go, wow, God, you really are with me. God, you really do never leave me or forsake me. God, you really are my Savior, my King, my Helper. You really are everything that I need. It stirs up this rest in me where even when I come to church and I may be a little stressed out, maybe maybe the kids were fussing in the car or maybe we're running a little bit behind because one of my daughters couldn't find her shoes which happens almost weekly we go on a shoe quest you know and you come here to worship God with your church family and you may be a little stressed out you may be a little on edge maybe there's something going on at home or at work or something with with, with your finances or, or, or your marriage or whatever the case is whatever's happening in your life you come in here but if you will just stop and focus on Jesus Christ and focus on giving Him your all, especially when you don't feel like it. I'll say that again. Especially when you don't feel like it. Because worship is not a feeling, it's a decision. Amen? It's not how I feel like doing it today. I feel like coming to church. I feel like singing songs to God. I feel like reading my Bible. I feel like if we only did those things when we felt like it, we would all be in sad shape and never get anything done. But when we make the decision 
when we make the decision, no, I'm going to worship God and I'm going to consider the weight of what I'm saying. It stirs up something in your heart that humbles your heart. It stirs up something in your heart that truly directs us to Jesus. You know, many carols and hymns were they used imagery and song to tell a story. You no, know, come all ye faithful is a song just like that. They used imagery. We said, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels. When we say those words, it's supposed to bring sort of a visualization to us, to help us connect with almost using our imagination to think and to imagine what it would be like that night. Coming, all ye faithful, coming here to visualize that baby in a manger. Come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. You can just imagine the king's coming and laying their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh before this little baby in a manger. Coming into Bethlehem, knowing that this is the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, and he's a little tiny baby. I mean, it's so crazy for us to even imagine that because we know the whole story, but could you imagine being there? I mean, could you imagine being there in that moment? How crazy would that be? How many babies have you looked at? A lot of babies look the same. <laughs> they're wrinkly, <laughs> and they're pink, or whatever little tiny little person and that's Jesus he didn't have a halo around his head he didn't have you know uh, a, a choir singing behind him right there in that manger it was just a manger and to the natural human eye it was just another baby but to those who knew those who were looking those who understood who he was He wasn't just another baby. This was the Savior of the world. A lot of people couldn't get past the humanity of Jesus. We understand the deity. We like that part. We we worship him for that part. And in our imagery, oftentimes, we think about those images that we've seen painted or the movies that we've seen or maybe the nativity that you have set up in your home or out in your front yard. But you know, as we think about it, it was a barn. There were animals there. And those animals weren't like kneeling. It wasn't like the donkey was kneeling, you know, down. It was just a donkey. I mean, it literally was so normal in that stall that to capture and reverence who he was, you would truly have to know this is special. This is different. Everything around me looks normal. Everything around me says not important. Everything around me says not special. Because if it was special, there would be fireworks going off. There would be loud bands and music all around this manger. But it was just a manger. But because I saw the star, they followed the star. They, they, they knew this was Christ the King. This was that baby. They came to worship him. They came to give gifts and honor of the fact that the Savior of the world has been born. And so even though it may look very normal to the natural human eye, it was anything but normal. And as we sing that and we visualize that moment, 
come, let us adore him. The second verse is actually rarely sung. The second verse is, God of God and light of light begotten. Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God begotten, not created. O come, let us adore him. This verse speaks of who he is, speaks that he is God, but yet he's man. He came to this earth through the Virgin Mary, impregnated by the Holy Spirit. He was born the way you and I were born, but he was conceived yet very, very differently. We see how the Holy Spirit broke in that moment at conception the curse of sin. And Jesus had to take that punishment for you and for me, but we see that in that very moment how when Jesus was conceived that the bloodline of sin had stopped because Jesus wasn't fathered by a sinful man. Actually, I did a study on this and uh, actually one of the things that I learned was that blood doesn't actually enter into um, a woman's egg until uh, the actual part of conception. And so when the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary, that bloodline, that cursed sin line, so now it's like Jesus has that pure blood, the blood that had not been touched by sin, the blood that was spilled for you and for me. And he walked in perfection, being both God and man. He took on our sin. So when we think about this, man, it brings a lot of weight to it. The next picture that we see here is an angelic choir in the highest that was heard by lowly shepherds, speaking towards the difference between a heavenly being and a lowly humanity. And here's a lowly shepherd. And here we see sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation, sing ye bright hosts of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. And we know that's the picture that was painted for us in scripture to let the shepherds know that Christ had come to earth but yet you see the contrast of the angelic beings and the shepherds and how it it shows us today that Christ both God and man and then the final portion speaks to his speaks to his actual birth and the realization that God has come to man where it says yea lord we greet thee we're born this born this happy morning jesus to thee be all glory given word of the Father now in flesh appearing. And then we sing, oh, come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And that's what Christmas carols are designed to do. They are designed to stir in you and in me joy in our heart, to celebrate the birth of our Savior. One of the most famous hymn writers of all was a man by the name of Isaac Watts, who lived from 1674 to 1748. And he authored around 750 songs. He's commonly known as the father of hymns due to the popularity that he had as the first English hymn writer. A few of his more well-known songs include Come Ye That Love the Lord, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, At the Cross, and the topic of this particular song that we're about to sing, Joy to the World. Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World, Uh, when he was a young man and he wanted uh, to sing songs but during that time most of the songs were actually written from the book of psalms in the word of god and so this gave isaac watts a way to bring in this new song that he wanted to bring in 
and it's the song that we sing today. It's based off of Psalm 98. Psalm 98 says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things, for his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of man. And he says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord our King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and His people with equity. He used this to stay true to the scripture, but yet sing about the coming of Christ. Because it's interesting to me, and I I didn't know this, but actually, Joy to the World was not a song written about Christmas time. It was included in Christmas songs and Christmas carols, but Joy to the World is actually written about the second coming of Christ. The actual purpose of that song was to celebrate not just his first coming, but no, it was actually to celebrate his second coming when he returns in all of his glory for you and for me. Now, it's interesting that as we look at the lyrics, we can see that we're not really singing anything about Jesus being born. Sure, we can get that out of it. But when we look at what he's really saying, it's saying those who belong to God, those who are the children of God, those who have put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ are those who are going to go to heaven and be with him forever. And he's coming again. So let's look at joy to the world. It says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. And then he says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. And then lastly, he says, he rules the world with truth and grace. And he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Over a hundred years after the song was written, a man by the name of Lowell Mason adapted this arrangement and this song into the melody Now we can look at the message in the song and see that it can be applied to Christ's appearance as a baby in Bethlehem. But we also must look at it with the way it was originally written and go, you know what? Not only do we need to prepare room in our hearts during this season, but we need to prepare room in our hearts for when he comes back. Amen? Make sure that we're spreading the good news of Jesus, that we're telling people about the gospel, that we're telling people about his grace, because this is a joyous occasion and we need to prepare a room in our hearts for him so as you hear and as you sing this christmas carol this season i want you to think about the words yes they they apply to the christmas story they they, they apply to the fact that the lord has come and we should rejoice but the lyrics point you to the reason jesus came the lyrics point us to the reason he came and that was to save the world and for us to be ready because he's coming again and what a glorious day that's going to be church What a glorious day that's going to be when we all see him face to face. Amen? Amen. We're going to sing this song together. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Won't you stand with us again? You guys are getting some exercise today.
say, Lord, you have our hearts today. We're so thankful. shout of praise today in this place, church. Amen. We honor you today, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are Lord. You are Savior. You are King. We honor you today, Lord. Isn't he good, church? He is good. I pray that this Christmas season and that through this message that your heart has been stirred to worship, pray that your heart has been stirred to think more than just Christmas season, Christmas carols, Christmas songs, but to think about the weight and the meaning of what it is that Christ has done for each and every one of us. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.